everyone, and thanks for joining us for um, another Compliant with Alliance. It's like a rapid fire podcasting around here these days. Uh, my name is Christine Blanco. I am the Compliance Director at Alliant Employee Benefits, and Diana Craig is here too. Hello, everyone. We're both attorneys here, just by way of reminder, um, who handle group health plan compliance. And today we're going to talk to you about some new proposed keyword proposed rules. Um, issued by the EEOC on wellness plans. Well, and honestly, I just feel like Sisyphus here. I, I've been chasing that boulder of the EEOC regulating incentive limits for wellness plans under the ADA since literally 2009. So we're back again. Yes. Same same issue. So she's going to tell you a long story. Um, actually, it's a short story, um, but it will feel long. <laughs> um, at any rate... Last week, the EEOC came out with um, some proposed rules on these incentive limits, and we'll level set on wellness plans and and that here in a minute. Um, But they're potentially very impactful um, and kind of a little bit of a mixed bag, making one thing easier and potentially eliminating another thing. And Diana will talk you through that. So we're going to go through um, some necessary background with the story. Well, and did we hit that these are just proposed regs? I did say proposed really loudly. So, by the way, it, it is one of those things that it could make you run screaming to your wellness plan, you know, helper, person, what do I do now? It's not the time for that right now. No. What I want people to do is sort of listen, learn, think about what they have in their current wellness plan um, design, and then think about changes that potentially could be required under these proposed rules. But again, they're just proposed, and we have a new administration coming in, so um, we would still need comments in on these. Final regs would have to be issued, uh, which is questionable at best given the change in administration, but you still need to sort of think about these, think about your plan. Yeah, and that's an important um point to make as we transition from one administration to the next it's customary and normal for any proposed or pending regs to be frozen for a period of time and so it's possible that these will sort of stay in perpetuity for a little bit until um until the foreseeable who knows but it is important to understand what they say because they are long awaited um, and they will potentially make some significant changes to your wellness plan design if actually finalized um, can I do my rant about the long and storied history of yes. EEOC yes. regulating wellness plans? She's been the ADA? threatening a long and storied history now since we've been talking about this. So, yes. <laughs> I will try and not make it too long, but I feel like I have spent my lifetime just chasing yes. this issue and all of the various iterations that EEOC has and put thank us goodness through. you have. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, we have to just start out with a little bit of background. So, the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act, as a threshold matter, limits an employer's ability to require employees to submit to a medical exam or respond to health-related inquiries unless job-related or, here's the big one, part of a voluntary wellness program. Since literally 2009, the EEOC has been dancing around the issue that too great of an incentive in connection with a wellness plan that involves a medical exam or inquiry will render it involuntary. Um, A lot of this sort of culminated um, around 2014. The EEOC started suing everybody, (laughs) literally everybody, over incentive limits under their wellness plans. We all got a little scared. It was, I mean, remember it was Honeywell, um, Flambeau, Orion Energy. I mean, we had a ton of cases here and employers were nervous because all of their designs complied with HIPAA 
But what employers were doing was basically adding up incentives. So under HIPAA, a participatory program has no incentive limits. Only health contingent programs have incentive limits. So they would add, um, you know, a, a perfectly acceptable incentive under a health contingent program and then start adding up more and more dollars under participatory programs. And the, the incentives ended up being very large and the EEOC was very upset, upset enough to sue everyone. So then, finally, 2016. And then what happened? <laughs> yeah, Chris is on the edge of her seat here. Actually, she's uh, nodding off and like playing on her phone. Uh, in 2016, the EEOC finally released regulations addressing incentive limits, and they were not very well drafted. There were a lot of confusing and conflicting incentive limits. We did a lot of math. It was very difficult, especially that. for me. We never like that. AARP sued and won. Those limits got stricken. Uh, EEOC formally withdrew them. We have been waiting for them to chime in. And for some reason, right now, they did. So do you want to just give them the soundbite on what the EEOC's new rule is? Yes. Essentially, it simplifies incentive limit, incentive limit calculations, allowing that if you meet the, the HIPAA thresholds um, on incentive limits, you're fine. And essentially would eliminate any incentive for a participatory plan. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what those two things are. I think we kind of are burying the lead there. But um, to only de minimis. So, for instance, if you, I don't know, if you complete a health risk assessment, we're going to give you X number of dollars. That's a participatory um, plan with an incentive. And then the question becomes, do those go away? Well, I mean, I uh, under this rule, it looks like they would. Yep. I mean, they've been kind of... Um cheeky about it. I mean, they're basically saying if it's a participatory program that involves a medical exam or inquiry, you can have a water bottle. Right. right. <laughs> De minimis is the word. Or Which... a low value gift card. So, I mean, it's like the water water bottle right. um, conundrum. Yeah. So, um, so that's, that's a big change because we have the way I see it too in practice and as we have employers who want to move into the space, wellness, health and productivity, whatever you call it, they kind of dip their toe in with participatory programs and then they move on to health contingent programs. And so this really kind of you know changes that dynamic uh, a little bit. Okay, so I'm going to let you do the hard part, which okay. is cover the background okay. on HIPAA and Good. participatory and health contingent programs. Okay, yeah. So um, we, we kind of jumped right into participatory and health contingent. And so it's really important to kind of level set what those are. And remember... Let's go back to the basics, because I think sometimes it's easy to forget this, and it will help us to know the framework, which is that HIPAA's non-discrimination provisions generally prohibit health plans from discriminating against folks uh, with respect to premiums, benefits, eligibility, all those things you would predict based on a health factor, right? Like what's maybe potentially going on with their body or their health. Wellness programs that you know are pretty pervasive right now are actually an exception to that general rule if they meet certain requirements. So that's what we're doing. We're coming from this place that you cannot discriminate against folks in your benefit plan because they have a certain condition, but you can do these wellness programs because they are designed to promote health or prevent disease. And there are two types of wellness programs, participatory and health contingent. And then we talked a lot about that, uh, Diana did in her um, her storied background. So. Participatory programs are, you know, it's somewhat self-explanatory. They're programs that do not include conditions for obtaining a reward based on satisfying a certain standard related to the individual's health or a health factor. So, 
you get reimbursed for the cost of a gym membership. Um, you reimburse an employee for uh, you know participating in a smoking cessation program. You have to do a thing, and that thing is not related um, to a health factor. And and we see a lot of these. To the, to Diana's point, you'll see them layered on with other types of programs. And so there are some parameters with participatory wellness programs. You want to hit those real quickly? Um, yeah, I mean, but I think I want to just make sure we we um, are very very clear that our issue here with the ADA is that two of the most common participatory mm-hmm. wellness programs are health risk assessments, uh, aka a medical inquiry, mm-hmm. or biometric screenings, a medical exam. So that's those right. are those are covered. Uh, by the ADA. So that that's where we pull those in. Very yeah, common. And, and that's a good point. Like if we're looking at, you can't look at this in a vacuum and that's where it gets tricky. It's, it's sort of a Venn diagram. So under, under HIPAA, if you have a participatory program, right, that asks for a health risk assessment or biometrics and there's technically no limit, you know, actually, you know, not to vary the lead, there's no limit on the incentive under participatory programs under HIPAA. However, when you plop it into the ADA land, um, there is a limit, and that's where things got a little bit wonky between HIPAA and, and the ADA. Yeah, and I just wanted to hit, I think there's one question I probably get asked once a week, so I just wanted to hit that here and now, which is, can we have a different wellness offering for this group of employees as opposed to this group of employees? And the answer there um, is generally yes, depending on how you're differentiating those groups. So you are allowed to have different uh, wellness options or offerings uh, based on specific categories, uh, participant versus beneficiary, um, benefit option election. So, you know, you could offer it to your blue population and not to your Kaiser population. Um, And certain bona fide employment classifications and those can be full-time, part-time, a geographic location, a bargaining unit, um, even something like a date of hire or length of service, although we discourage those generally uh, just basically year of service um, or date of hire because those can raise red flags under 105H and other provisions. But so, yes, we can make distinctions in what we offer. So that one I just wanted to cover real quick. And what I generally find, and you deal with this a lot more, is that for the most part, if it's reasonable and it makes sense from a business perspective, it's probably okay. I see it a lot along benefit options. And, and so, yeah, that's an important component. So when we leave participatory HIPAA land, right? So um, those examples, gym membership, health risk assessment, biometrics, you know, plug some money in your, your HRA, and we move into health contingent programs. So health contingent programs, there are, there's, a, there's two. So it's sort of a subset here activity only and outcomes based meaning we want you to do something we want you to complete an activity that's related to a health factor so we want you to walk we want you to work out we want you to stop eating donuts whatever the case may be right (laughs) or outcome and then that's activity that's activity only then you have your outcomes based programs um, where you have to meet a certain health metric so you have to have a certain bmi or your cholesterol has to be below a certain number or the most common one of all time and um, that's pervasive is you have to be tobacco free, okay? That is a health contingent wellness program. So what that program is, just note to self, that is your highest level of compliance requirement if you are running a tobacco free program. And we see it a lot where people don't actually know that. So it's important to understand that. So why does this matter? Because these health contingent programs, because remember, again, we're working with that non-discriminatory HIPAA framework, they have to meet the following five requirements. Folks have to be given the opportunity to qualify for this reward at least once per year. 
The total award cannot exceed 30% of the total cost of coverage, so we're talking employer and employee contribution, in which they're enrolled under HIPAA, um, or up to 50% of the, of the for tobacco prevention. So that was um, a component of the ACA, if I'm remembering that correctly. You are remembering <laughs> wow. that correctly. Um, so it's more for your tobacco-free programs. The program has to be reasonably designed to promote health or, or prevent disease. And then this is... Um, this is always really kind of where some rub is. The full reward has to be available to all similarly situated individuals, which Diana just kind of ran through those categories. Um, and it requires a reasonable alternative standard to anyone who doesn't meet that health contingent outcomes-based standard. Um, or for any, or and rather for anyone for whom the activity-based program, so the walking, you know, whatever you're doing, is unreasonably difficult or medically inadvisable. So you have to be able to, for folks who cannot do the thing or meet the standard, you have to give them a reasonable alternative to then get the reward. And um, a lot of times for employers that feels like, why do I even bother? Because I'm going to have to give this reward anyway. Well, and especially with, uh, with being tobacco-free, employers feel like, if you're still smoking, you shouldn't be able to get the reward, but right. really they can't. They can't, right. And and, and so that's a, a talking point that it, sometimes it just doesn't feel great, but it is the rule. Um, and reasonable alternative standards, we can go on for days. I'm not going to. In fact, you should have heard the discussion Diana and I had before this <laughs> podcast about all kinds of things. It was, anyway, we're going to, we're going to spare you that, but um Note that, oh, am I going to, I'm not, I th- yeah, I think it's you now. Yeah, you want to kick it to me, and I'm going to just. <laughs> okay. I'm I mean, not on the no-doll rules yet. You uh, you did the hard part. You covered very clearly what a HIPAA participatory program looks like and what a HIPAA health contingent program looks Do like. Do I need to talk more about 30%? I think we're fine, right? 30% of employee and employer, so the total cost of coverage in which you're enrolled. Yeah, and I think the soundbite under HIPAA is for a participatory program, Historically, there have been no incentive limits, and for health contingent programs, the incentive limit is 30% 30 or 50. Total cost of coverage, Mm -hmm. 50% if it's tobacco cessation, but note that if you require uh, cotinine testing, that's going to raise some red flags for us. That takes you into the ADA. It does, and I want to just now hit on, again, what the new proposed, and I said that very loudly, rule from the EEOC is on wellness plan incentive limits under the ADA. So they basically say if you have a participatory program that involves a medical exam or inquiry bringing you within the purview of the ADA, you cannot have anything but a de minimis incentive. And again, the joke is they literally say a water bottle. So that is the new rule. That means that if you have a program where people go in and do biometrics and they get $50 off a month of their health insurance premium, uh, that's not going to be okay anymore. If you have employees just go online and complete a health risk assessment and they get a premium discount or, you know, however, however you're, you're structuring that reward, that's not going to be okay anymore. So that's a big change. But what they did say is if you have a program that qualifies as health contingent under HIPAA, 
you can go ahead and have your HIPAA incentive limits apply. So that's again our 30% and our 50% if you are doing tobacco cessation, but you cannot do that cotinine testing. So one of the things um, when I was reading these regs, I thought, well, this, you know, assuming these regs go to final and then are, uh, you know, implemented, this will largely end cotinine testing for tobacco cessation programs. So, um, yeah, I mean, that that's an important takeaway. Yeah, and I think, you know, since this uncertainty in the ADA EEOC world, haven't we generally been telling folks to comply with HIPAA anyway, and that's sort of our level set right now, and not go any further than that? Yeah, I mean, we, we've been um, uh, sort of amid this chaos. We've been sticking closely to the... Um, EEOC's old mm-hmm. incentive limits. We've been kind of avoiding stacking incentives, which you know everyone got sued over in 2014. Right. So, um, so we should be pretty close here. Right. I guess that's my point. We're but hopefully we're not too far away. I, you know, I think the way to salvage our um, participatory wellness programs yes. that involve a medical exam or inquiry. We think we've figured it out. Well, I mean, I think, and again, we're going to get comments on the proposed regs. Is it might be as easy as adding a standard and an RAS. So if I go through um, and do Which my... Which is reasonable alternative standard. Sorry, right. I didn't give it the RAS. <laughs> yeah. I just want to make sure that we're clear on our acronyms. A re- a RAS is a reasonable alternative standard from Health Contingent Program. Thank you for the acronym yeah. save. So like, let's say I log on to do my health risk assessment and uh, Alliance is going to give me a discount on my premium. So common, common design. Now, under these regs, maybe what that would look like is I enter my cholesterol, I enter, you know, my BMI or or whatever we want to ask about. And there are thresholds attached to that, where if my cholesterol is too high, it sets off a flag that says, you don't meet the standard, you don't get the reward unless you complete a reasonable alternative standard like watching uh, three videos on healthy eating. Not eating the donuts. Not eating the donuts. <laughs> yeah. You can't eat the donuts, apparently. Yeah. But so, so that might be what the sort of easy save is, but it still would take some work to get those programs transitioned over. Yeah, and I think the takeaway on this, if your head is kind of exploding, because this is a tough space, uh, is that while on its surface this is fairly impactful and will take some changes we can probably get to where we want to go i call it through the HIPAA door versus like the the ada door i mean we still kind of have to go through it but um we don't necessarily need to move entirely away from you know the um the what we're trying to do here well and again none of this is stuff that has to happen tomorrow proposed regs and it should not happen tomorrow oh, like you know don't uh, make these changes <laughs> do you want to hit a couple of the no does i do i do so um there are some things that the regs or that the proposed rules remind us of that have not changed and i call them the no duh rules um <laughs> And just skulk away if this is something you're doing and go fix it. Um, You can't require your employees to participate in the wellness plan. You cannot deny coverage of any of your plans or particular benefit packages for folks who don't participate. We call those a gateway plan design, so you can't create that gate to get through to a certain rich plan. Um, You cannot limit the extent of coverage. And you cannot take any other adverse action against an employee who declines to participate. So these are your no-dull rules. You'd be surprised those plans are still out there. They, they are indeed. I, I mean, I see one come in where, uh, you know, probably once a year where an employer wants to actively punish somebody um, for, oh, yeah. for not participating. And we it's can't. with smoking, too. It's usually the tobacco stuff you see, and, and, and so it's not 
it's not uncommon, but just note those rules are have always been there and continue to be there. Can I close it out with some potential good news? Yeah, it's good news. So uh, again, proposed regs, so not effective right now, but under these proposed rules, they are eliminating that very, very lengthy uh, EEOC ADA compliance notice for wellness plans that involve a medical exam or inquiry. Uh, When they said in 2016 they were going to put out a model notice, no one anticipated the length that this notice (laughs) would be. Um, So that would be a good thing. If these go final, that notice will go away. All right. That is good news. Thanks for ending it on on a high note. Um, And and this is an interesting space, and I'm not going to go into this, but it dovetails a lot with what we're talking about in in the vaccine space right now. And how that really lives in the ADA EEOC world. So as much as we hate to live there and we're dragging you into it, it's probably helpful for you to get comfortable because that's where we largely live when we're talking about COVID testing and vaccines and mandatory programs. So welcome. Um, Thanks for joining us. Uh, Stay well and we'll be back soon.